Welcome to Picked Voices, the interview series conducted by the faculty of the Paris Institute for Critical Thinking with notable members of the broader Picked community. Our goal is to present our community with a variety of voices across the spectrum of the humanities and critical creative thinking. My name is Anton Bonnici, and today it is my pleasure and honor to be joined by Mr. Wolfgang Panik, author, director, performer, translator, producer, and editor. Wolfgang is co-director of the Tan Teatro Company in São Paulo, Brazil since 1994, and has co-authored alongside Mauro Baiocchi, a notable number of texts documenting the practice and theory of the Tan Teatro Company, the latest of which is the 2020 publication, Choreographic Theater of Tensions, Forces and Forms. He has also published articles on the writing of Gilles Deleuze, and it is this interesting engagement of theatrical practice with theoretical underpinnings that has piqued our curiosity even further in Tan Teatro's beautiful work. Welcome to Big Voices, Wolfgang. Hello, Anton. Nice to see you and to listen to you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So the opening question is, in fact, um, taken from um, this latest publication about uh, Tan Teatro, where in the dance of concepts um, uh, from your recent publication, Forces and Forms, you explain how the company name Tan Teatro is translated into choreographic theater of tensions, with one of your most central concepts being that of the tension principle. Would you please introduce us to the world of Tan Teatro with some further elaboration on this concept of tension as interpreted and explored through Tan Teatro's practice? Yeah, this would be a pleasure. You see, the book was published in 2020, mm -hmm. uh, our first book in English. We already have several books in Portuguese and one in uh, Spanish. Uh, but it was our intention to, uh, to reach a, a broader audience with our ideas and practices and also yeah, and somehow to open up to different uh, groups, social groups and national groups and so on, because in one way or the other, when you are working in Brazil and if you're working even as a choreographic theater with uh, Portuguese language, this is somehow restricting uh, the dialogue and the audience that you eventually might have. So uh, we decided to write a book in English and this book gives you a kind of overview of our concepts, our practices and our trajectory. In particular, the trajectory also of our founder, Maura Baiocchi, a Brazilian choreographer and director. And uh, well, she founded our group in 1991, which is actually today like something like 30 years ago. Oh. And uh, I can tell you that this is not such an easy thing to <laughs> maintain a group uh, mm -hmm. in Brazil for such a long period. And uh, yeah, since the beginning, uh, the work of Tan Teatro was uh, this kind of mix of practical activities, of course, performing arts activities. Mauda is a dancer and was a, in, initially a dancer, a performer, uh, who liked to, to, to uh, develop her activities in a variety of places, also in nature and outside and performing, often without actually conceptualizing all the stuff that she did in the beginning. But after some time, there was this tendency to also conceptualize your own work, her own work in that case. Mm -hmm. And step by step, this became more or less a, a permanent aspect of the work. So when I entered the company, which was in 1992, uh, it already existed for about a year. And at this time, People were working on a book, that, on a work that was called The Deaf Book of Alice. See Alice of Wonderland, the character of Louis Carroll. So this was a six hour piece in which, uh, but Alice was actually, how you say, uh, she was abducted from, from Louis Carroll's book mm -hmm. to the underworld of the Tibetan book of the deaf and stuff like that. And uh, so I, when I came to learn the group, Everybody was practicing every day for hours, a lot of physical training. And at the same time, people were trying to work on the concepts that Mauro started to develop about one or two years earlier, more clearly. So Tan Teatro, which comes from the word Tan, T-A-N, 
which is you know it's a it's a root from comes from um, I say uh, Sanskrit. It's a Sanskrit word. Tan means means tension, and it's also the word that is the word that is in tan. It's which is in dance. Tanz in German. In German, you see it very clearly. T T A N tan tanz dance. Uh, dance, etc., etc. So the tan comes from from comes from this word, which at the same time means tension in Sanskrit. So it has a wide uh, denotation. And uh, so Maura added an a, an a, another letter, because she wants to stretch the tension a little bit more. And uh, so tan teatro, and. Uh, by time we came to a sort of translation first it just meant theater of tension and then uh, because we we got aware of the fact that the choreographic element is very strong so that we thought no this should be the choreographic theater of tensions and uh, so tension yeah this was the first point the essential point that there should be always you should always pay attention to tensions, not tension in this restricted uh, daily like manner that we normally speak about when we say, ah, this is very tense here, or there is there are international tensions or what, you know, always this kind of uh, negative perception of the world, word tension. Mm -hmm. When you think about dance as something that is directly related to tension, for instance, physical tensions, like muscle tensions, like torsions and so on, like spatial tensions, the way that the body relates to space. And the observer, for example, that sees a body on the stage, perceives the body inside a certain area. Mm. The movement of the body is in some way related to the physical space in which it is happening. And you can speak of a sort of body-space tension because you see the body and the space interacting with one another. So there's this kind of energetic relationship between two or more different things. And regularly there are much more things involved than just two. Mm -hmm. uh, well, this kind of energy relationship between the very diverse elements that compose a theatrical or a performative action, this we call tension, which is about the difference of potential between things. So even you might have even tension between, for instance, colors that you employ. Let's say you have a certain stage set or you have a costume or you have sound. There are immaterial and material elements, all immaterial and, and uh, material elements of a performing artwork are somehow interconnected and they are, let's say, uh, interpenetrating one another or they are in contact and the difference of potential between these diversity, this diversity of languages and elements, uh, material or not, is a kind of composition of energy differences mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this is basically what tension is and that means that you somehow with the with the, with the concept of tension you are able to uh, find a common denominator for everything that is happening and that does not necessarily depend on meaning okay. it does however not exclude the possibility of meaning so you have male for instance you have a gesture that is not exactly necessary and is not necessar necessarily meaningful, but maybe it connects to something else, maybe a sentence, a word, or something that has a sort of social meaning. And you put the two things together, and then you might say, no, there is this energy element, and energy doesn't exclude, uh, of course, doesn't exclude uh, meaning, which sometimes people think. Uh, it's somehow prior to meaning but it is at the same time connected. And actually what we are interested in, that's why the title of the book is also called Forces and Forms, is how energy processes and processes of generating meaning stay always in touch. Okay. Okay, so this is, would be a very essential aspect. Mm -hmm. First of all, but just to repeat, tension is a kind of common denominator between all elements that comp compose a performative scene from our point of view. Mm -hmm. Tension by us is perceived not as something positive or negative, 
it is just something that happens <laughs> it's just there it's like in, also in life so you have all types of tension you have pleasurable tensions uh, consider for instance the body when you are when you like somebody or when you are interested in something or when you love or when you are aroused by somebody whatever happens mm -hmm. uh, all these hundreds of little muscles and big muscles in your body make a certain performance mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. this relationship that you develop this affection that happens between you and somebody else transforms modulates your body in some way when you listen to a voice you have a certain physical reaction, you are affected by this. And this, com this complex, this tension complex, which is your own body, somehow responds or interacts with this other sort of, uh, uh, with the other body, uh, uh, for instance, or the envir environment that you are in. Okay, so. Um, no, that's, have... that, that's, very, that's very interesting. And uh, you've already started uh started tapping into this, the, the area of the second question. As, as you said to yourself, there's this process, right, of, uh, of reflection and definition on these practices. And uh, you just said that uh, you started the process when, when you entered, uh, 19, when you joined in 1992, um, yeah. then you started that process of uh, finding more definitions. And in fact, when I, uh, I, I read the book, I, I, I took a look at uh, Forces and Forms, and it was very interesting how the definitions are formed. And there's actually a very interesting list of these definitions mm -hmm. that most of them explore very interestingly what you've just uh, been saying. And do you feel that this process, this, this uh, aspect of reflection and definition feeds back into the performances? Like how, how, how does it kind of, uh, how does it form part of the cycle? Yeah, I see what you mean, because there is often a disconnect between theory and practice. Yeah. People talk a lot, especially when you go to university, people like to make a lot of speeches. Mm -hmm. They seem to be the smartest persons on earth. And then you see what they are doing and you say, wow, nothing of what they just said is happening in front of me. <laughs> so this is really a huge problem. And I have to admit that also I found that in the among the younger people in for instance, in Brazil, they had, today they have to read a lot of philosophy. They became that's a, uh, they have to be some sort of specialist in certain areas. Maybe they like to read a lot Deleuze or whatever. And uh, there is a lot of how you say it. They have to carry a lot of theoretical work, mm -hmm. often not even related to the traditional theater or dance theorists. Mm -hmm. but actually to other areas which is of course interesting but uh, you feel that somehow there is too much uh, the balance isn't very good and often the professors don't know really they don't but professors like to talk about the books they read a lot they have this kind of intellectual advantage about their pupils and uh, this puts them in a sort of power position but it doesn't really mean that they are able to to help in the creative development as far as the arts themselves are concerned. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is what sometimes something that we can observe a lot here. I don't know how is it in Paris, how it is in Paris or elsewhere, but this is something I, I noted a lot among people that work with us. So, but we have to, I have to tell you, Maura Bayoki, basically the person responsible for the uh, main concepts of our work, I have. I collaborated a lot with the, let's say, the theoretical formulation and mm -hmm. development of the basic ideas. Um, so she is very concrete. Mm -hmm. And I have to say there are, there are people, there are some people maybe who have certain talents. Let's say you have an intellectual talent, talent but you do not, you do not even how, how to work. Or to walk, you know, <laughs> somebody sits up, take a walk over there. Person just cannot get up from uh, cannot get up from her, her, her seat or something. Mm -hmm. So, uh, no, in her case, I think this this interconnect, this interrelationship is very intuitive. Having an idea, uh, and you don't need. I don't know. I, I think often you don't need to have need to go too deep in the intellectual elaboration of a concept. Actually. 
that's why they dance in our case mm -hmm. you see the concept needs to dance you need to, you have you have to be able to it has to be able to move to transform and you have to be able to interact with it that's why it's dancing mm -hmm. somehow mm -hmm. so in our case there was always a very straight uh, connection between both things let's take the example that i gave in the beginning you, you you're a body you are composed of a bunch of muscles, some very small, some very big, some intermediate. They are kind of muscle, you can, you can muscles are tension complexes, right? Mm -hmm. So you could say yeah, everybody is simply something that depends on establishing the variety of tensions. Any movement, any expression, if you laugh, you have more than 60 facial muscles or something in order to have to form your laughter, True. your smile. Mm -hmm. So you can see this, but now you can see this from a very technical point of view, mm -hmm. if you want to, or you just say, no, let's see. So let's explore our muscle tensions of our body. Mm -hmm. So there we have a very concrete exercise. First, you will get conscious of these different muscles you have in your body and to see what they are able to produce. So we have, for instance, a practice which is called... Um, mandala of body energy this is a very essential tool that we use in our work which is designed to synthesize the diverse faculties of a person let's say the physical aspects the body the bones the muscles the movement uh, perception sensibility thinking thinking is not not welcome <laughs> sometimes people think that they shouldn't think uh, no you just question is how to integrate your thinking so that doesn't become an obstacle obstacle to your other capacities so this mandala of body energy is a kind of tool which is an excellent exercise which is like 190 to 120 minutes long generally depending on the person that is executing the exercise and in this exercise the person step by step gets acquainted, acquainted with, diff with different aspects of her or his body. Very slowly, very attentively, and then step by step, including more and more capacities or faculties uh, until the, the exercise, exercise is designed in several dances. One follows the other. And uh, let's say it's accumulating. You do something very simple, then you introduce a second element, then you go back, that's the so-called zero position. You always go back to the zero position. You make a dance, then you go back to the other zero position. And you are somehow accumulating the experience. And every the zero position is a kind of starting and, uh, and finishing position. And it's also a transitional position. Always, you always go back to zeros. There where all possibilities are but you return to zero with an additional element. So that when, when, you, when you are in zero, and zero is actually the symbol of chaos, it's not just the absence of something. It's, no, it's just that the non-manifest state. Mm -hmm. So you always go, you, you manifest something, you return to the non-manifest state, but which is actually far more energized. And at the end, after six dances, you come to the, uh, after at the, at the, at the final dance, you come to the improvisation element. That is when you hopefully were able to integrate all your faculties and then you start creating based on this. And mm. Then if everything works more or less well, then you uh, will not find it. Sometimes you have these uh, creation or improvisation techniques that um, people do something immediately. Now do something very crazy. But after five minutes or 10 minutes, you feel that people is uh, drying out, you know? just okay. losing it because yeah. nothing new is coming <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> because this this creation of the improvisation exercise isn't really sustained by yourself so in this mandala of body energy exercise we have one dance which is called the states of matter okay the states of matter so you have uh, liquid gas and you have uh, solids right Mm -hmm. And you have the transitions, actually, every state is actually something in process. You have very different solid states, 
you have very different liquid states and you have different kinds of uh, how do you say gas mm -hmm. it's not liquid it's gas gas well gas i don't know the yeah, yeah. gaseous state so so and we try to connect then the muscle work of the person of the performer different types of tension very concretely the density or intensity of muscle tensions related to the element so the person is conducted conducts herself to move through different states of physical of muscular tensions and trying to experiment not only the state but also all the transitions from one state to the other so there you have a very concrete exercise of how to experience something like tension on a very physical level mm -hmm. in your own body, very elementary and very difficult mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it's extremely, it's not easy to be aware, not only to be aware, but also to work and to mm -hmm. operate mm -hmm. this tension system, it, it, which is your body. Interesting from, from what you're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing how the, the theoretical aspects are not merely descriptive, but there's also an instructional aspect to it all. And, and, it, and, it, and it translates into actual movement. The theoretical aspect translates into yeah. actual physical exercise in, 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 uh, in the space. And, and uh, that, sounds, that sounds quite, uh, quite lovely. That sounds quite lovely. Um, moving, moving on to the next, the, the next question. Um, uh, and I'm interested to uh, see how, how how this figure ties in because um, Antonin Artaud uh, has been the subject of a number of performances by Tan Teatro. And, true, yeah. uh, and he is regularly listed as one of the company's sources of inspiration. So uh, what is this relationship that uh, Tan Teatro has uh, with uh, Artaud? I would say in our case, the, temp for the, 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 the beginning, it's always a question of love affairs you know, mm -hmm. of or of some sort of passion. I mean, we yeah. can make a lot of theory about stuff, but maybe say, stay now, when you start off with something, you must somehow feel affected by that. You must have a very, we have some of these figures. We have Artur, we have Nietzsche, and of course they are very interrelated. Mm -hmm. So, uh, there are certain recurring subjects. Maybe you have encounters at some point in your life and this counter somehow affect you. Maybe initially you do not even really know what's going on. Mm. Maybe you're just losing somehow balance because you have this kind of encounter. And I would say that uh, in the case of Arto, this is part of the question. When we started to work on Arto in 1996, it's five years after the founding of the company, because I was already came from Germany and I was when I, mean, I started reading Artos, I think when I was 17 or 16 or 17. And there was this kind of shock experience at the time. And uh, but I didn't at the time when I was before being in the group and I didn't really know what to do about it, I have to admit, uh, like in a more creative way. And uh, then in the company at somehow point I said, Mother, ah, I think we should do something about our toe. But by the way, his hundredth birthday is coming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in the year before, we had done this uh, Bhutto and related arts festival, Bhutto and Research Theater Festival, big festival in three cities simultaneously in Brazil. And uh, then we came away, we had a lot of courage. We said, Ah, we make another festival. So we decided to go for our tour. And, uh, well, I could tell you a lot about the big festival, but <laughs> I would stick to our own work within the festival. Uh, I, I suggested to Mauda that she also would create a performance space on Arto. So this was our first work. It was called uh, Arto, where God runs with the eyes uh, of, of a blind woman. So very strange title. Maura dreamed with the title, which was actually great because it has somehow to do also with a little bit of this surrealistic connection in our tour. Mm -hmm. And by the way, there was no, not one word of our tour in this first performance we did. It was just like Maura said, somehow inspired by his, let's say, shamanic and Momo energies. Mm -hmm. Le Momo, oui. It was like a resonance, you know, it was not so much like the attempt to reproduce Artaud or his, put his text on stage or 
something or represent the guy or towards himself. No, it was a kind of poetic resonance in her coming from her knowledge about Arto. So that was the first work. And of course, there were certain figures, like certain recurrent characters. Uh, but as a whole, it was a very dreamlike piece, very performative piece, and very uh, anarchic in a lot of aspects. So this was our first experience. And we did this in 1996, 1997, and for some time. And uh, performing this and developing the same work. And then there was... Uh, a big leap, actually. Uh, and we really went on to go back. And now in, this, in the following year, this was very funny. This is one I have to tell you. <laughs> in the next year, Maura did another play, play. It was called Arara, Stories That the Bones Sing. Stories That the Bones Sing. And this was also, it was inspired by a dream. Uh, she dreamt about a guy. She had a dream with the, with the group, the league of uh, the worshippers of the main life. Oh. And so it actually sounds a little bit strange at the beginning, but when you are living in a very corrupt political system mm -hmm. or also circled by religious systems where you know that people are lying all the time mm -hmm. and they're building their entire power structure on that, uh, then it becomes less funny. It's funny, but at the same time, it's also serious. So, and the interesting thing in the play was that uh, that was our second work on involving Arto. Uh, Maura was doing something, I don't know if you know that in France, but it's called a psychograph. Mm -hmm. a psychograph is when people say that they are, when people write books, listening to voices that speak to them and they are just writing it down, you know, like écriture automatique. Écriture automatique is the surrealists, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but this is a kind of, this is a kind of Brazilian version. Okay. That means that people, uh, some spirit is talking to you. So she received Arto's spirit. <laughs> and the, the guy, the, the leader of the League of the Worshippers of the Light suddenly was interrupted by Arto coming, uh, speaking from beyond. So this was a comedy element, let's say. Uh, suddenly there was... Uh, like, like a voice against these power structures and so on, intervening in this supposedly very serious situation. So this was like, like you know, things that were happening in the beginning. And then I would say we had this big leap. And in 2014, for some reasons that I do not really recall perfectly well right now, we started to work very seriously on our talk. We did one, we start, first we did 50 drawings, uh, to assess in magic in 2014, we did cartography in 2015, which, which consisted of three different plays. Uh, first, the trilogy. First is based, was mainly based on correspondence with Jacques Rivière. Uh, the second one was uh, about uh, mainly about voyage to Mexico. So it was strongly related to our tour trip to Mexico. And the third one was a return of the Momo. Uh, so we, we covered certain moments of his trajectory mm -hmm. and uh, exploring certain texts uh, for, this, uh, for, for this purpose. So this was like a five hour and a half play in total. And uh, it was very nice. We did it a lot of times for all conditions and within the material conditions in Brazil. Yeah, a lot. And I designed this, the last, because I was the author, let's say, together, Maura was the choreographic director, but I was basically conceiving the place. And the last part, I conceived in such a way that we could use it further on as a solo work that we also presented in Paris and in Rodez. Yes, yes. Which was Artole Momo, which mm -hmm. is our version of it. So, I don't know, we have at least 10 works, I guess, about Artole, and we did also this... In 2020, during the COVID pandemic, I had this idea early in the beginning that we should work on the theater and the plague because it's a pretty interesting text when it comes to, let's say, to the mental derangements provoked yeah. by a plague or that COVID turned out to be. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we did, we worked on this. So this is, let's say, what we did. We did a lot of works mm -hmm. about this subject. 
and uh, and then there's of course the question of of, of proximity how mm. do you why do you feel inspired or not by somebody <laughs> which is maybe another aspect of what in, that might interest That's exactly you. exactly because the, the the relationship drove you for so long right you had all these all these performances all this work so uh, the, they're they're clearly as we said before, there's uh, this tension in uh, attraction. There was definitely some form of tension and attraction between uh, uh, the work you were already doing and, and the words and the... the I, I like how you said the shamanic aspect of, uh, of Antonina. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I think there is... You see, I think when you go see, when you meet somebody, when you, you know, when you meet somebody, but when you meet... Uh, the literature, the images, the char character, like Artaud, uh, if you don't reject, for some reason, this kind of encounter, mm -hmm. then it has, at the same time, there is this, it has a very stimulating, at the same time, destabilizing character mm -hmm. aspect to it. It is uh, like, because a lot of your supposed uh, certainties they start to shake you know like yes, that. yes. That, that's that's the art of effect right he, he breaks down a lot yeah. of uh, a, 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 a lot of support exactly yes. so you no think about pieces. exactly yeah. uh, that maybe and that this is pretty helpful i would think in the first place mm -hmm. because it's a kind of destruction destruction mm -hmm. deconstruction deconstructive mm -hmm. process uh, which makes you reconsider. Arturo leads you to reconsider a lot of the stuff that you have been doing if you are actually, for instance, the question in how far your practice corresponds to your theory. <laughs> or if you are just like to talk around, mm -hmm. if you like to listen to yourself or stuff like that. But when it comes to action, uh, there is a huge gap between your uh, ideas and your try, at least your attempts to put them in practice. So uh, this is one interesting challenge. There is, of course, this theor the theater theory, let's say. I mean, in this, well, I have to be sure that Arto wasn't really alone in the first place when you think about the first conceptual aspects of theater of the cruelty. It's not like entirely original to the, when it comes to the question of, of multiplicity of languages or mm -hmm. that theater mm -hmm. isn't really text-based in the first mm -hmm. place which is of course things that come to, to, to our encounter. Yes, because yes. our work is choreographic, we like to involve different types of languages. So there was already a lot of uh, connection. But I think in a deeper sense, of course, a, a theater of cruelty goes beyond the uh, technical aspects or formal aspects mm -hmm. of theater, theater making. At mm -hmm. the end, it's like a totally deconstruction, reconstruction of a body. And there is also where the shamanic question comes in. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of what Artur says about his, in his late, late text about what the theater of cruelty is, is actually a kind of shamanic ritual that somebody is performing somehow on her or himself. So uh, the, 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 the ritual uh, death of somebody and the recomposition of a new body and the body that somehow follows your own decision making mm. or your own interests or your, whatever you think you're, it's very hard to determine what one's own interests or will is. Uh, but anyway, now this is the point where you put you something that maybe we would call in time theater, it Artur leads you to the point of your existential tension. Mm the thing that really moves you and to face this question if you are actually if you are going willing to go to a limit in order to do what is actually important to you and he is an extreme case everybody knows him says so asylum leaders years and so on so it's a very high price yeah. to pay yeah. if yeah. you yeah. are very ready so yeah. these are these are some aspects and then of course uh, there is this mixture of a rig of how to mix a very rigorous approach to your work with something that is at the same time very radical when it comes to the question of, of your formalizations. Mm 
you say no. Especially what I said before, this is maybe very important. How do you, how do you make it happen in your work that the forces that drive you and the forms you generate, that they do not at some point start to divorce? Mm. And then you say, well, this is just like, let's say this is really actually only the representation of a theater, for instance. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then you say, now somebody does a beautiful work, very well arranged, very nice, technically, whatever. Mm -hmm. You said just, yeah, but it's just not able to affect anybody. Mm -hmm. You see, then you say it about the, uh, the athlete, the effective athlete or the athlete of the heart, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. meaning that you get in touch, you cannot get in touch with somebody or it's really hard to i think so to get in, in touch with somebody if you yourself are divorced from the forces mm -hmm. that drove you to use a certain type of expression true so this is maybe something that i would say is the most doesn't really matter what kind of stuff you do what kind of theater dance or whatever or if even in daily life communication but this basic concern that you can also in daily life be a kind of athlete of the heart as long as your expressive form stay in touch with your with the forces that drive you existentially this is maybe the biggest thing for me and it doesn't really matter what kind of forms you produce uh, because as long as they have this characteristic mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's also it was never that I have to say it was never, we had never the idea to create a theater of cruelty or whatever. Yes, you know, yes, we wanted true, to do true. our stuff. When I, when some, I, to, I, some people do that. Yeah, yeah. When I, because there's always that there's always that uh, temptation or that pitfall, you know, kind of it's a, it's a pitfall, I think, of turning it into a formulaic aesthetic that is just going to be reproduced. And I yeah, think that that that, that 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 is the kind of experience I had when that I can connect to what you've just been saying that the form becomes separated from the process because whatever is produced does not remain a, an a impulsive natural outcome of the process, but simply becomes a, a destination that is already known. And one is just filling in the gaps to make sure that the picture stays so, so to speak. Um, and and that is that is that is you're true. You're right. That is a trap. And of course, Artaud is constantly fighting against that. It's in his nature, right? His nature is to literally make always break things down whenever there's a risk of that happening. Yeah. Um, and, and that is Artaud's writing. Is Artaud's writing? Another moving on. Another another term that uh, Mara Bayocchi, um coined is the term of eco performance. Correct? Uh, where, where, yeah. where she says it's designating it designates a cycle of her works that uh, investigates the play of tensions between body, ancestry, and environment. I found this very interesting. The the, the introduction of ancestry there, body, ancestry, and <laughs> environment. Um, yeah. uh, and, and you also had an eco-performance festival um, earlier uh, uh, this year, and there's another one coming up. Um, so what is this, what is this uh, eco-performance and, 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 and the, the goals uh, and, and the intentions of this, yeah. approach, so to speak? Maybe I would just like to, I want, I'll try to be more uh, concise this mm -hmm. time. Uh, but I have to say that there is a connection, let's see, between the, the tension principle, tension on the one hand, so that you are always connected, things are always connected. And actually things are not really things. They are also tension processes or tension flows, if you speak like that. So you do not, cannot really isolate. Uh, I mean, it sounds, everybody says, ah, everything is connected. Well, okay, mm -hmm. this is nice. But the question is, what do you make out of it, right? Also in creative terms. Now, and, and what, how does that, inf that kind of consciousness influence your practice, your life, your existential or artistic practice? So when you say, okay, uh, things are interconnected, what actually is going on is always in this in-between sphere. And uh, when you think from the tension principle, then your body is not, your body is not uh, restricted to, the, to your skin or something. You know, you're always... You are, you're breathing, you're eating, you're looking, you're watching, and you are interactive with your environment. So you cannot divorce your body from the environment when you look, when you think under the point of view of attention principle. Actually, in some, of course, your body has a certain stability and independence, 
but not entirely. It's far away, far away from being entirely independent from the environment. So body and environment are essentially connected from the start. There would be no body without some sort of environment. And at the same time, the body constitutes an environment. So well, I, I'm saying this because before we had the eco-performance, we had this idea of e-corporality. Mm. Is that involves this idea of an intrinsic relationship between body and environment and how we how does this idea affect our way of performing? Mm. This constant, constant co-presence of that, what you call your body and other bodies and other elements of the spaces that you uh, go through, that you live in. So uh, on the one hand, we have this. And then simply we have this other passionate aspect that is somebody just starts working in certain things. And I think in Maura's case, it was absolutely like this. You just enjoy to perform in very different spaces, not only on the stage, but also in urban spaces and natural spaces and so on, and to explain different possibilities of interacting. And there's, of course, a kind of uh, maybe, let's say, organic or initial sensibility, however you want to call it, that just makes you feel related stronger to different environments that are not only the traditional stage, stage environments. By the way, eco-performance can happen on the stage, can happen in any type of environment. The question is more, how do you relate to the environment? And do you understand that you are actually a part of it and that you as a performer or the performance are part of a composition? Mm-hmm. And that the performance is not me. It's not like l'état c'est moi. Uh, sometimes in the star system, you have a little bit this idea, we are very self-centered. So we always think that we are the performance and we are not aware of the fact that actually what the performance is happening in a, in, in a composition of in-betweens of all the different elements that were designed to perform, to be the performance. So uh, eco-performance has a lot to do with this on one hand, of this notion that the performance arises in the in-between of the body-environment connections. And then, of course, a value, it's an, it's an, it is important, also politically speaking, because uh, the thing came stronger up in the end of the 80s, in Maura's case, and end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s. In, in Brazil, we had this conference, the International Conference uh, on Climate, Mm-hmm. Today we have one other conference. You see, decades right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She performed at the time of what was called "When the Butterflies Get Lost." Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also an interesting title already because when the butterfly butterflies gets lost, it's a kind of symptom that the, the environment is getting bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, she performed at that time at this conference, and she called her stuff environment performance at the time, not eco performance. Okay. Then, for several reasons, the word changed at some point, and uh, and we started to have this yeah, ancestry. This is what you are coming up with. Mm-hmm. Okay, why is ancestry relevant <laughs> to an eco performance? To why is it, if there is, you could say maybe well, the body environment performance when the relation imply in the first place something that is more spatial. Mm-hmm. There's a more spatial or physical element. The ancestry, ancestry, now we are talking in a wide sense, that gives a sort of temporal dimension to this concept of, of, uh, when you say, ah, you do something site-specific, like people say, uh, well, you're talking about spaces, but you are still not invoking time explicitly. So therefore, the term of ancestry. Now you have ancestry like, ah, I belong to a certain group of people of culture, of a cultural environment and so on and so on, which is also an environment, so to speak. But it's, it, when we think about it in a, in, a, in a larger sense, it does only not only back to our ancestors, personal family ancestors or whatever, or the tribe that our family once belonged to and so on, and it's cultural formation. But as we know from biology uh, or from Shakespeare, we are made of stardust. Mm -hmm. So you have also this cosmic ancestry. You have this ancestry that relates you to minerals, to plants, to animals, Mm -hmm. and to the whole variety of the biological, of the organic and non-organic cosmos that you are part of. So in this sense, 
you are talking with ancestors <laughs> or you are in touch with ancestral aspects of life once you are performing in a certain environment. And uh, the simple fact that you take this into consideration, not just as an abstract idea, but uh, let's say, let's try you open up your senses, <laughs> your sensation to this idea. It simply establishes, it's like, you know, like what Deleuze calls uh, the image of thinking. Our kind of thinking and acting depends a lot of certain paradigms. And therefore, these uh, transcendental ideas they are, that, we are, that we are oriented by, they are, have a very strong effect on the way of how we conduct ourselves and our social life and so on. And so once you establish certain other ways of thinking things, you know, like this, when you say, oh, this is the Copernican turn or something like that, <laughs> you just switch around a little bit mm -hmm. the idea that you make of things. This triggers sometimes, not always, sometimes different sorts of perceptions. Let's say you simply allow yourself to perceive things in different ways. So in this case, uh, once you consider the ambience or the environment as, an, an, as a space made of ancestry that you have a relationship with, and I'm not talking about how people I say like, uh, sometimes people like to joke about this stuff as if you, I mean, we are not naive idiots or something like how they say kumbaya or something like that peace mm -hmm. and love and peace and yeah. so on no it's a conflictual and mm -hmm. uh, relation all these relationships you could say okay we are more high, like heraclid you know mm -hmm. conflict is at the beginning or arthur would say dissonance mm -hmm. uh, or we would say tension so uh, no it's a to be in an environment is always con it's not harmony only it's conf conflict a lot of times struggle and so on but in any case it's uh, interdependence and collaboration and conflict and uh, so ancestry brings you this idea that you are in somehow really in different sense related and it also from the performative point of views and this is where i close the idea mm -hmm. uh, once you think that you are interacting with something let's say a plant a stone or whatever and you allow the possibility that you respond, that it's a bilateral relationship, it's mutual. <laughs> it's not just you who is giving the cards, you know? Mm -hmm. Say, now I'm doing this. <laughs> uh, but then you see how new possibilities of expression arise once you open up to, to be touched by something that normally you wouldn't consider as a dialogue partner, right? Who is the, what you say, oh, whoa, I'm not talking to a stone, <laughs> what the stone is going to tell me. But this is exactly where we can say, then we come back to this shaman, shamanic question of our talk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You this could... is very interesting, the idea of opening a new pathways of conversation, finding, finding new, new, uh, new aspects of relation and affecting you across time. Mm-hmm. I like I, I like a lot this I like a lot this 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 concept. You, you also work a lot internationally, right? So you have a lot of international um, collaborations. And uh, right now, um, you've been working with the Mozambican dancer uh, George Nlozi. Yeah, that's um, right. Um, and uh, I've seen recently the video on on uh, Hamlet and Necropolis. Yeah. Um, I, I I really enjoyed looking at his part of course from the actual choreography and the physicality of the movement but it's, there was something about this um, connection to earth mm. connection to, to, to earth and earth-like substances and earth-like and and, and and dust and feeling in that in that work um uh, how, how is this about brazil meets mozambique how does this how, how what kind of conversation is created is created there yeah, just I will tell you. Uh, maybe first of all, I have to say that that Maura, in some point, started to study in Japan. She mm -hmm. studied in the 80s, 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 70s, 80s, 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 
recreational as a group. And you see, I'm German, she's Brazilian, the guys from Mozambique. We have now a painter, performer friend, which is also part of the company. She's from Argentina. And so, yeah, we have this idea of this transcultural approach, let's say. Uh, but it's not so much about conceptualizing actually, ah, let's be transcultural or something like that. It's more like uh, things happen, I would say. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, because we could make, you make, a, I mean, you make some theory about it afterwards, and then maybe it's also interesting to do that. But I think things, once you are directed in a certain way and things start to happen, then you, maybe you meet people that you would say you have some sort of effective relationship and you want to work with the person. Mm -hmm. And this was somehow the case with Georges and Losi. In 2005, we went to Mozambique. We were invited by a producer, came out of nothing, so to speak, for me. <laughs> Somebody picked you up on the internet and started to suggest to work. And so we were a lot of struggle to get the money to go there but finally we could do it and we did a work there and seven weeks we collaborate with the company that george came from it was called company of chant and dance of matola which is a city close to maputo the capital of mozambique well he started george ended up being uh, doing the important solo performance in this work he was very young at the time, so he was like 21 or something. Mm -hmm. But he was very nice, very impressive and very responsive. Uh, and a lot of years later, in 2017, we were, our company was doing like 25 years. We had this idea we should bring together some people that worked with us at some point for kind of sort of commemoration of relationships and creative interaction and so on. We invited George to come to be part of 1001 Plateaus, our work on Deleuze and Gautari. And uh, well, he came, he performed and he was interested in staying in Brazil. <laughs> and we worked very well together. Uh, so what what does George bring bring to our group? Uh, well, first he is a very good dancer, and he is very open minded when it comes to any kind of proposal. He is not like a big intellectual or something, but he is very how do you say intelligent when it comes to his uh, physical understanding of of what can happen on stage he always he is a very he is a <laughs> far more developed than a lot of people that i know that can talk a lot about philosophy of social sciences or whatever uh, so he's very perceptive he has, he has an impressive sensibility and very good great skills uh, also uh, and he just i don't know this is a very also i would say it's more like personal confession or something that you can say when you propose something to him when i propose when we talk with one another or he proposes something to us it, it happens on a very intuitive level it's not uh, we say now we want to work on this okay we have so found some sort of language to talk about this and uh, well let's say we did. my first thing that i wanted to do was, was make a dance about power and how to be on a throne, a place of power that was basically the starting point. How to work on the on the fact that you cop you occupy a place of power, and uh, I don't know yet. That's it's, it's sort of a little bit magical also sometimes that somebody some just has a great understanding of that, and then they have this uh, Maura and she they have a very good relationship between choreographer and dancer, so. Uh, he brings this kind of knowledge that he has from traditional dances and contemporary dance. And then he started to learn our techniques and so on, step by step. And I think it's a very nice uh, combination. So we did a lot, a lot number, a number of solo works. We sent messages from Mozambique. We introduced his original language in our works, which is Shangana. It's an African language which is also very enriching because for me, it was very interesting because you see, uh, for us actually, I do not really understand, let's say what's going on, what is being said, but I understand the language on, on a more musical point of view. 
more as a on the on its energetic or material level, and not so much on uh, what it means or denotates or whatever. And uh, this was also very interesting because somehow the contact with other languages, let's say you speak English, French, or whatever, and our guys here they started to learn his language so they could sing together with him in certain moments so this uh, remodulates your body this is also important this is maybe also uh, you suddenly you 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 open up yourself to different types of sensibilities once you try uh, to practice languages that are not yours so to speak so these are some these are some of the things and of course there is a political element also because uh, it brings us it brought us to, to discuss question of colonization how colonization acts upon the bodies especially for instance when we come back to the question of languages there is not only the physical part let's say how is the training how is the conditioning of a of a, of a colonized body and a, uh, or how are the different types of conditionings? Not there, there is one body which is conditioned and the other, other is not, but these kind of encounters, interpenetrations and all violence and sometimes uh, all the positive contamination between different types of conditionings and so on. All this was stuff that we were studying, inclu including the question of language. Let's say the same guy is making a monologue, speaking, some sentences in Portuguese, other bunch of sentences uh, in 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 in, in and how these things intersect. And from the perspective, uh, spectator's point of view, because you listen to one sort of rhythm and sound and so on, and then you jump over to the next one, and it makes you like you know when you listen to different languages at the same times and you feel that it makes you shake a little bit you are losing a bit with certain ground uh, and at the same time it's interesting so these are some of the i mean just spontaneously pointing to some elements that i think are of interest very interesting yes 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 very interesting and uh, the, the this idea of uh, a new language uh, actually affecting even the, the perception of one, one's body and, and the different dynamics that are created therein is, is, is quite, uh, it, it, quite a strong image, it's quite a strong image. Thank you a lot for all of this. We've spoken a lot about these different aspects of Tan Teatro and uh, my, uh, my final question would open up more to with regards to today's world and theater's place in today's world, you know. Um, after these uh, these last few months um, with the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic and everything that that's meant for theater. Um, uh, we've had a lot of theaters being closed and, and uh, a lot of theater companies being affected, but I feel there was also this new awareness of how how close theater brings people together and of course this has this has also give us given us a new perspective on the very idea of proximity to people um we've been for for many months we've been told you know keep your distance and don't 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 go next to people you know and of course what we do in theater is the complete opposite we want to bring people as close as possible together even more so where do you think that all of this leaves theater today from from your experience mm -hmm. where, where does it leave theater today I, I want I, I want to, to 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 reply to your question, but I just want to make this uh, maybe this connection with the question you made before, mm -hmm. because uh, Hamlet in Necropolis is part of a project that we are doing now, and we are doing it. And we started it during the pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think it's interesting and useful to establish a connection between how to react to the pandemic, yes. Yes. what it does is triggered by it. So I mentioned before we did this project on the theater and the plague. It was an international project which brought us in contact with people from several continents. So in this case, you have to say, yeah, this because I wanted to make an interpretation of the theater and the plague from the point of view, from a pandemic point of view, multiple entrances. Mm -hmm. And so actually, as you said, this project brought us in contact with a lot of people from Thailand, from Russia, from uh, Tunisia, and elsewhere. So that I'm mentioning this because it's an opportunity. Now see crisis, you say, ah, crisis is always an opportunity as well, or can be, mm -hmm. right? You can see something uh, 
you say oh, there is an obstacle i cannot go on or you can try to jump over it or find a way <laughs> to cross the obstacle so i think uh the same thing with Hamlet Necropolis, which is also this project. We are still working on this. Um, in this case, Necropolis has to do with COVID. So concretely, Brazil, you know, was very hardly affected. I think 600,000, more than 600,000 deaths up to now. So here, the images you saw happened on the biggest cemetery of uh, South America. So uh, it was a mess. It was horrible. When they, all these people were dying, they, you see the bones in the film. Yeah, we were actually exposed. You, were, you would be walking in the middle of bones in a cemetery. So this was really rough. Uh, so I see, you see, I have to say from a personal point of view, I didn't feel that uh, the pandemic stopped us in our work. Actually, we very quickly shifted our perception. So what are, where are we, how are, do we conduct our creative energies under the given circumstances? And also stimulated by these circumstances as not only just continue working, but also, but how do you work not only with the situation, but also on the situation? So what does the pandemic tell you? Uh, and how does it become a subject to your work, right? So this, so this was actually, I have to say, a very uh, immediate and all, even I have to say easy, not easy the subject itself, subject is horrible, but it was just there so strong, so you could work on it. Uh, you, have, you have a strong subject. <laughs> you don't have to look out. Is there an interesting play you want to do now? There is a major subject right in front of you, around you. Okay, so this is an opportunity to, to work on stuff that is, is actually determining your time. I mean, your history, <laughs> the historic moment you live in. This is maybe a very rare opportunity that you have say wow uh, if you're not if you're not doing a theater that reproduces already existing plays but if your kind of theater or dance work is based on approaching subjects of your time cr by creating the place so i think the pandemic is a gigantic subject mm -hmm. and very hard to grasp because we are still in the middle of it now of course there is a lot of a lot of people suffered a lot from this because they lost their possibility of their habits, their performing space, opportunities, the money that they used to have. Now in Brazil, we are pretty much accustomed to crisis. I have to tell you, having money for your work has always been a struggle here. So we are, let's say, struggle-proofed. You know, it's not like, I lost my job yeah. <laughs> something yeah. like that. You never had a job never in the it. first place. <laughs> so you always have every year to fight again. And you have the feeling that you never really leave the place where you started from in a lot of ways. Like you have no financial security at no point of your career or, or if you want to call that a career. So I think this also makes a difference. From which angle, from which geographical and social and political point do you experience a disruption like this mm -hmm. if you are accustomed to a very comfortable lifestyle with your fixed salary for years and then suddenly says you cannot work anymore because the theater is closed then the, your perception is certainly very different from somebody who never lived these tranquil, this quiet, or uh, these comfortable circumstances where you, which you may also, this is something, I'm German, so I can tell a little bit about it. As Europeans, we are sometimes think that our lifestyle is somehow a human right issue. Yeah. You know, we have a guarantee somewhere written in the stars that we should live that way. And that's actually the standard how life should be. And everybody else is messed up. So, uh, so there is this uh, sometimes a limitation that how to understand. No, in very different places of the world, things are seen differently. And, uh, and then sometimes you might even say, okay, I would say some things get lost, let them get lost. 
you know if you're not able to survive a crisis like this then maybe it's okay like this it's not just like things go broke and you say oh that's so sad or that's just as the pity maybe you just say well there wasn't a lot of reason for them to exist anyway except this institutional aspect of being a professional in a certain area so from an artistic point of view uh, I think a lot of people suffer a lot and so on, of course, because you are accustomed to a certain lifestyle. But uh, I think this, let's say from a different point of view, it gives you a lot to reflect about of your own habits, of the way you see things, of the kind of consumer lifestyle you have and so on. You say, this is not how my life should be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> True. And True. now at the point, the point that you made about the encounter, this is something you said about the, the theater as, a, as something that has to do with being together, mm -hmm. having encounters, meeting people. Yeah, I think this, uh, when you are, if you are, how do you say that, deprived, if you have not the opportunity any longer to meet people, I think uh, this gives us also an interesting opportunity because in some cases you say, you know what, I do not even miss the guy. <laughs> or uh, yeah, yeah sometimes you see that your certain habits are automatized mm. and others that are really essential that you say oh, this is really something i uh, this has to change again and we have to find a new way and then maybe to say not only uh things have to get back to normal but what is this new well okay when we come back together to be together again as artists in that case mm -hmm. So what is important for us? Yeah. What makes the encounter re really relevant? What is the essential part of this encounter which is constituted by the theatrical situation? And uh, in how far did or does this situation that we are living in tell us something about the, commun of, of the types of communication that we would try to explore when we work in our field. And this is something I think that, uh, well, it's like being, when you have, when you are forced to stay out of something for a long time and then you go back eventually step by step and you have a learning process to do. And I think that can be very useful actually, I have to say, because it puts out, us out of our comfort zones. It makes us questions what kind of type of communications are really important to us, what not, what styles of communication etc 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 and uh and maybe and also the fact that maybe you said oh, some things i didn't really miss i think this is interesting you know sometimes you notice that you thought something was relevant to you and then you notice this is not as relevant as you always supposed to be yes. so this i think i think i think though in this way we have something positive about is that maybe we can consider uh, our own selectiveness to cultivate the things that are really matter to us, everybody in a certain fashion. It's mm -hmm. not like to do it to be generalized. And also say, no, this is not so important anymore for me. <laughs> we can skip this part. <laughs> it's, a, it's an opportunity to rediscover once again what is truly essential. Yeah. Yeah, what is truly essential. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for all this. This was a, a, a lovely chat and uh, thank you for being uh, with us. And I would like to thank also all the picked uh, voices listeners. Um, uh, I hope that uh, this discussion gave you uh, some insight into the work of the Tan Teatro company and uh, do look them up. Do look up uh, Tan Teatro on the different platforms like uh, YouTube and online and social media because there's a lot of uh, beautiful work there to uh, be discovered. Thank you very much. And thank you. Thank you.